Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here with us today. We are in the middle of a series talking about God, about Jesus, and about His Word. You know, this is a holy Bible. Now, there's nothing special about the ink and the paper that this is made out of, but the message it contains is a message of life. And we're going to talk today, this is our sixth in a series, about understanding this as a book, as one message from God. You know, I thought about ways to introduce my lesson. I thought, well, I could stand up here and say, I got a lesson from President Biden. You want to hear what he says and you'd all be going, really? You got a lesson, a letter from him? And then I thought, well, some people might go, I don't care what he says. <laughs> You got a message from God right here. A message from God. How can we not be interested in that? So we're covering this series, trying, trying kind of to get an overview of everything. This is a chart that we use to kind of give us an overview. We began in the beginning where God created the world and we spent a couple of studies talking about this age of the fathers. And we called it that because when God wanted people to do something back then, he said, Noah, get your family and go do this. Abraham, get your family and go do that. And so there was this, the fathers of the family is the way God communicated with people. Can you imagine if that's the way God communicated to us today, that he would talk to the old man of the family? But it changed when the people, children of Israel, came to the mountain where God gave them the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. And during this period of time, the way God communicated with people was through his prophets. And he would send a prophet with a message. And, and Micah would stand up and say, the burden of the Lord came to me and said, you need to do this, or don't do that, or stop this, or whatever the message was at the time. But the Bible tells us that in the fullness of time, that is when the time was right, when it had been prepared and we got to the right time, God had prepared the world and all the people, He sent His Son. And His Son came and brought us the final revelation from God. And so what we are talking about today in our series is we are at the very end of this period of time. We've got the law of Christ and the law of Moses, and the law of Moses lasted until the end of the Gospel of John. Jesus lived during this law of Moses, and what we're talking about today is the very end of that period of time, that law of Moses. We are talking about the life of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. This is about Jesus today. We've talked about Him as the Son of God. We've talked about how He is eternal. From all history, Jesus Christ has always existed. We've talked about how Jesus Christ Himself was the Creator, that He is God. He came to save the lost. He brought us a new covenant, that is, a new agreement between God and man, an agreement to forgive our sins on the basis of His sacrifice. And he built his church. So what we are now going to talk about is this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We're going to talk about when God became a man. God became flesh. Now notice this doesn't say that he dwelt in flesh. 
It says that He became flesh. Jesus Christ, the man who came and lived as a man, was actually God. And He came and dwelt here on this earth. And we're going to look at how that happened. His birth. Can you imagine if you were to plan God coming to earth? How would you plan that? Would you plan a big deal? Would you plan, I mean, all the trumpets in the world to be blowing and all the kings in the earth to be bowing? And I mean, if God was to come to this earth, isn't that the way you'd... I'd plan a big shenanigan. A shenanigan? Is that the word? No. Shindig. <laughs> Not a shenanigan. A shindig, okay? I would plan a big shindig and I want everyone to know everything that's going on, right? That's not the way God did it. The Bible tells us that there was this young girl and her, her engaged husband. They weren't married yet, but they were betrothed, which is like our engagement, only stronger. It took a divorce to break a betrothal. But they were not yet husband and wife. And God spoke to this young woman. He said, you're going to have a baby. And it's going to be a miracle. And he is going to be the Messiah. You're going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And she said, okay, whatever you say, God. And he said, it's going to be a miracle. And so, sure enough, she became with child, even having never been with her husband intimately, because this was a miraculous thing from God. The only time this ever happened in history. And Jesus Christ was expected. Now, what happened is she goes off to visit her cousin. She's there visiting her cousin for about six months. When she comes back, she's six months pregnant. And can you imagine if your fiancé went off for six months and you didn't get... I mean, she couldn't FaceTime every night. They didn't have that technology back then. She shows up and she's expecting a baby. And he says to her, Hey, I know you and I hadn't been together. we got a problem. She says, No, it's a miracle. God did it. Would you believe that? No one would believe it. It never happened. But you know what? An angel spoke to Joseph and he said, she's telling you the truth. It is a miracle. And you need to take her as your wife. And so they were obedient to that. They submitted themselves to doing what God said. And the Bible tells us Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So the, there was a decree went out. Everyone had to go back to their home town where their family was from to be taxed. They load up and they go, this was about 70 miles. Can you imagine walking or riding a donkey 70 miles when you're about as close to being ready to have a baby as Kayla is. I mean, it's, it would be very difficult if you can imagine trying to do that. But they did. And they got there, and there was no room for them in the end. You know, a few years ago, Carrie and I went up to the northeast to watch the leaves change, you know, up in New Hampshire and Vermont's beautiful up there. And we always make plans before we go. This time we said, we're just going to drive and just stop wherever and stay. 
There's no hotel rooms. <laughs> Everybody goes up there to watch the leaves change. And we ended up staying in a dump because we couldn't find anywhere to stay. That's kind of what happened then. They, of course, couldn't log on and get their plans made before. And they get there and there's nowhere to stay. They end up having this baby and keeping it in basically a barn. Can you imagine having your baby in a barn? This is the Son of God here on earth. And Jesus comes and He's born here. Now you know the stories if you're familiar with the Bible how angels appeared in the sky and the shepherds saw that and they came and worshipped. You remember there were the wise men that came from the east and they get there and they followed a star and they don't know exactly where to go and so they go and ask Herod and Herod says I don't know and he asks his wise men they go well the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem and he says go find him and then come tell me so I can worship him too and really he wants to kill him because this kid's going to be the king and he wants to stay the king. And, and so God warns the wise men in a, in a vision and they don't tell him, they go the other way. And He warns Joseph and Joseph takes the baby Jesus and they flee to Egypt and then Herod. You, you think we've got bad leaders? Herod sent his soldiers to kill every baby under the age of two in the city of Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem, city of Bethlehem. Trying to kill this baby. Can you imagine? You know, we don't like some of the things Donald Trump did or some of the things Joseph Biden does, but they don't send soldiers in to slaughter all the children in a town. Can you imagine the uproar if that happened? We don't know much about the growing up years of Jesus. We just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about that. We do know one story. We know a story about a time when they went to the city to worship and they've been there and they leave and they get about a day away and they start looking for Jesus because they'd all walked and Jesus, I'm sure, has run around with his cousins and, and Jesus isn't there and they go back and they hunt for him. Their 12-year-old boy is missing. Any of you ever leave a child somewhere? Uh, ever have a kid disappear? One of our kids, Jerrica, disappeared one time. Carrie had gone to town. She said, I'm leaving Jerrica here. She was little. And she said, just watch her till I come home. And Carrie left. And I was working out in the garage. And I start looking for Jerrica. And she's not there. And I go down to the chicken pen and she's not there. And I look in the barn and she's not there. And I look all over the house and she's not there. And I'm going, oh no, I lost our kid. And I looked and I walked through the house and said, Jerrica, Rachel, this isn't funny. You come Because I thought maybe she's hiding somewhere. About that time, Carrie pulls up and I go, did you take Jerrica with you? She says, no. I said, she's gone. We had all the neighbors out looking in the yards and that your worst nightmare, right? You lose a kid. We had bunk beds. Jericho was a heavy sleeper. She had climbed up on the bunk beds to the very back, covered up with some blankets and pillows, and was sleeping. <sighs> Can you imagine how Joseph and Mary felt when their boy was gone? He's just gone. And they looked for him and they looked for him. You can, if you're a parent, you can imagine the desperation. And they finally find him and Mary says to him, she says, why did you do this, boy? 
And he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Now they found him in the temple talking about the word of God with the leaders of Israel. He said, didn't, what do you mean you were looking for me? Obviously I would have been here. And they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them, came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all these things in his heart. You know, mamas keep things in their heart, don't they? About the kids. They keep things in their heart. But she didn't understand. Even though it was a miracle and she knows he's the Son of God, there's just stuff going on that she doesn't get. She doesn't understand. But she thinks about it and keeps it in her heart and she ponders it. That's the only story from his childhood that we know. The only one. The next time there's a story about Jesus, it's when Jesus is going to be baptized. All the people were baptized. It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the, whole, the while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, "You are my beloved Son, in whom, or in you, I am well pleased." So what happens is Jesus goes to his cousin John the Baptist. Now, Baptist doesn't mean he went to the first Baptist church. Baptist meant he was a baptizer. That's what he was. John the Baptizer. And John preached and baptized thousands of people. And Jesus goes and shows up here to his cousin to be baptized. And his cousin sees him and he goes, Whoa, uh, you need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus says, Let's fulfill all righteousness here and, and let's do this. And so John says, Okay. And John baptizes him. When he does, the, there's a voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove. And this is the very beginning of what we call the public ministry of Jesus. And you know what's fascinating? One of the fascinating things to me about Jesus is Jesus wasn't some conqueror. He wasn't some military leader like Muhammad led his armies. and He, he didn't do all of that. Jesus was just a common guy from the Middle East and all he did his whole life is... For three years, he walked around and preached to people and did some miracles, just in a small area. And he had such an impact on the world that we count our calendar from the day he was born. He's had dramatic impact all over the world, just from his teaching, from the simple things that he did, this public ministry. Now, there were things about Jesus that were different from other preachers that walked around. One was his miracles. You know, Jesus did a tremendous number of miracles. And the reason he did miracles, it says, is truly in the presence of his disciples, Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You know why Jesus did miracles? So people would believe in Him. So people would know He came from God. And He wasn't a, a trickster. He didn't have some really cool tricks. I mean, He really did miracles. He did amazing things. Things that you have never seen anything like in your life. He did things like controlling nature. We read a story in Luke 2 about there's this big storm and Jesus is out just walking on the water. He didn't have on water skis. 
He wasn't being pulled behind a boat. He was just walking on water like I'm walking on the floor here today. Well, another time there was a huge storm and the people who were in the boat with Jesus were afraid they were going to die and Jesus got up and He said, Stop it! And the storm just stopped. Can you imagine that power? Another thing Jesus did is He healed people. He healed every kind of disease. And it wasn't a, okay, take these pills for six months and you should slowly... No, it was heal like that. You know, we've had a whole list of people on our prayer list that Yancey prayed for when we started, right? A bunch of them got cancer. What Jesus did was the equivalent of going to the hospital and touching Jeremy on the forehead and Jeremy getting up and going home because he's well. That is what Jesus did. Curing my dad of his cancer. Bang. He's just well. Immediately. One time, a guy cut off another guy's ear with a sword. And Jesus just reaches down, picks up the ear, and put it back on. <laughs> and he was healed. Can you imagine? Jesus did. And these are just the ones we know about. This says He did many other signs like this that we don't know anything about. The Bible says that He healed everyone of everything that came to Him. He cast out demons. Now that would catch people's attention, wouldn't it? It certainly did in the world that He lived. And people came by the thousands to be healed by Jesus or to be fed by Jesus. You know, Jesus fed thousands of people with just little dabs of food. He did incredible miracles. Another thing that really stood out in the teachings or, or the work and ministry of Jesus was the way He taught. He didn't preach like I'm preaching to you today. The way I preach to you today, I quote stuff out of the Bible and I say, therefore, because God said this. Jesus didn't teach that way. He taught with authority. He would say things like, you've heard it said, and he would quote something out of the Old Testament. He'd say, but I tell you this. And he spoke with authority. It was different. Not only did he speak with authority, but Jesus Christ primarily taught with parables. Do you know what a parable is? A parable is a story that has a spiritual point, okay? So Jesus would get up and instead of standing up in front of the crowds and going, okay, everyone, I'm the Messiah. I'm God. I came here to save you. He didn't do that. You know what he did? He'd get this huge crowd of people come around to hear him teach and he'd get up and he'd go, you know, there was a farmer that went out and he was throwing out seed on his farm and casting his seed out. And some of it fell on the path and the birds came and ate that up. And some of it fell in ground. It grew real fast, but the ground was shallow and there were a lot of rocks in it. And when it got hot, that, that stuff died. And then some of it fell in ground that there were so many weeds and stuff, they all grew up with it and they choked it out. And then some of it fell on good ground. And that stuff that fell on good ground, it grew and it produced lots more grain. I think about that and I go, okay. <laughs> Why would you have thousands of people here be ready to tell them some kind of great spiritual truth and then just tell them a silly little story like that? Why would... That was perplexing. The same thing as that I thought is what his disciples thought. 
The disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Why don't you just tell them straight up who you are and what you're here for? Why tell them in parables? And his answer is this. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. You might say, well, that doesn't help me a lot. (laughs) Why did he talk in parables? His answer is this. He said, when I tell a parable, everyone, everyone hears the parable, and they all have the same shot at the truth. Some people care, and some people don't. The people who cared, when you read the Gospels, I encourage you, go home and read them. Jesus would tell a parable like this, and they'd go, Hey, Lord, what did you mean by that? Explain that to us. And then Jesus would say, Okay, here's the deal. The seed is the Word of God, and the birds that came and ate up the seed, that's the devil, and the different kinds of soil, that's people's heart. And He would explain to them. But most of the people, they didn't care. They just wanted the free food. They were just there for a miracle. And so what Jesus says is, I can stand up and I can teach these spiritual truths and by doing it in parables, it's going to naturally separate out people who really care and really want to know from the people who don't. I want you to think about yourself in your own life. Have there been times where you really didn't care? I mean, maybe you went to church. Maybe you said your prayers at your meal, but you really didn't care. But then there's times when you did care, right? And you search and you seek and you love. I don't know where you are today. Maybe you're sitting here because you're just here. Somebody told you to come or your family's here or something, but you don't really care yourself. The Word of God's that way today. We've all got Bibles, don't we? All of us? we all got Bibles? You don't have a Bible? We'll send you home with one today. Most people leave their Bibles just laying on the shelf. Oh, we got it. We've got the Word of God. But it naturally separates. Some people care. And some people seek it. And some people search it. God's God's always worked that way. Okay, so Jesus Christ went and He taught in parables. I've already mentioned one of them. Another famous parable is the prodigal son. We won't talk about that this morning. Jesus did this for almost three years. And then one time he told his disciples, he said, guys, I really, really want to keep the Passover with you. So I want you to go to town. You'll find this guy and tell him the Lord has needs and he wants to set up for the Passover. He'll show you a room. They go. He sets up a room. And they go up and they have the Passover supper, which was a meal that they celebrated. It was a feast where they celebrated the fact that God released the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And we told that story and all. And it's a celebration they do still. uh, Faithful Jews do that uh, yearly nowadays. And Jesus said, I want to do that. And so they met. But this time, when they had this celebration, this feast, Jesus told them something else at the end of the meal. He took some of the bread and He took some of the wine. And he took that bread and he passed it out to them and he said, take all of you, eat some of this. And they did. And he said, this, this is my body which is broken for you. Now the truth is they didn't understand that at the moment. 
But it was true. It was about to happen. And then he took the fruit of the vine, the wine, and he gave them all some. And he said, I want you to all drink of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He said, this new covenant, this new agreement, this is the blood of that new agreement. Now you and I know the new agreement is Jesus had an agreement with His Father. I'll go live a perfect life and I'll shed my blood as the sacrifice to pay for their sins. And that way, I will become sin for them that they can become the righteousness of God to you. And I'll take these people who were made as human and we'll elevate them to be not just, just human, but now they'll be the children of the Almighty God. They'll be a part of His family. And that's what you and I come here for. That's, that's the way He has changed us and our world. And He instituted that here in a few minutes after I finish my lesson and we sing a song. We're going to have some fruit of the vine and some bread. And we're going to do what Jesus commemorated at that time. What Jesus started. We're going to continue that. And Christians all over the world to this very day do this every Sunday to say, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness like we sing in the song. So Jesus has His disciples around here. Now He's got a disciple there who's going to betray Him. And He tells them, He says, one of you here is going to betray Me. And you know, I would think, we know it was Judas, right? I would think Jesus says, one of you is going to betray us and every one of them is going to go, Judas! <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't expect it to be Judas. You know what they did? They, every one of them went, Lord, is it me? It's not me, is it, Lord? It's not me. Jesus washed their feet. Now, today we don't normally wash each other's feet because we have socks and shoes and our feet stay pretty clean overall. Uh, but back then they just wore sandals and walked everywhere and their feet were nasty and that was, that was just a, a custom that they did washing feet. And you know, they got there, no one had washed feet. Jesus takes a towel and a bowl of water and He gets down and He begins to wash feet. He comes to Peter and Peter says, You're not going to wash my feet, you're the Lord. And he said, if I don't wash your feet, get out. I have nothing to do with you. And Peter, you've got to love Peter. He said, oh Lord, wash my feet. Wash me all the way to my head then. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm committed. Jesus told him he would deny him. And Peter said, oh no, Lord, I won't deny you. He said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you would deny me three times. Not me, Lord. Bible says then that they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. You know what singing a hymn means? Sing a song like we just sang. So, wouldn't you like to know what song they sang? I think about that. That'd be neat to hear. I don't know. Maybe someday we can ask him. But they sang a song and then they went out and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, this is a place where Jesus commonly would go to pray. Do you have a place where you go to pray? place that's just you can get off by yourself. You can talk to God. Somebody, somebody says, well, I do that in my car. You know, when I'm driving, that's just my time with God. Or I do that when I go run in the mornings or whatever. You need a place where you can go pray and talk to God. Jesus did this. They got there. He left all the guys on one side of the road except three of them. 
Peter, James, and John, and he took them on into the garden with him. And he stopped and he said, Guys, I want you to watch and pray with me. And then he went just about as far as you could throw a rock. And he knelt down and he began to pray. And Jesus prayed. He said, Father, Father, if there's, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. What he was saying is, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to take the sin of the world. I don't want to be punished for sin. I've never sinned, Father. I've never turned against You. I've never been separated from You. And when I take the sin of the world, You're going to turn Your face away from me. And we're going to be separated. I don't want to do that. And he went back and those guys he left told him to watch. They're asleep. And he wakes up and he says, Guys, can't you wait with me an hour? And he went back and he prayed again. The Bible says he was so intense, he, his sweat was like blood. And God sent an angel to comfort him. And he goes back and the guys are asleep again. And instead of being angry, he said, You know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, They want to, but it's the middle of the night. They're just so tired, they just can't stay awake. Then he wakes them up because Judas is coming, and he's coming with soldiers. And he comes with soldiers, and they say, We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, That's me. He said, you came to arrest me here at night, off in a garden somewhere. Why didn't you do it when we were in the temple in the middle of the day? Well, of course, the reason they didn't do that is there would have been a riot. And they arrest Jesus and they take him and then they put him on trial. And he goes through five or six, depending on how you count the number of trials. Here's the trials that he had. He was tried first by Annas, the high priest, and then Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin council then by Pilate, and then King Herod, and then by Pilate again. And in the midst of Pilate's second one, the reason I say six is Pilate comes out and gives his answer, and then he takes him back in and tries it one more time. So it was kind of a two-part trial there at the end. Jesus was tried by all these different people. The first trial, they said, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. And they answered and said, He is deserving of death. Kill Him. He has claimed to be the Messiah. Just kill Him. Now, it was illegal for the Jews to kill anyone, so they had to get the Roman ruler in the area to agree to it. So they go, and they wake up Pilate early in the morning, and they've got Jesus, and they say... This guy claims to be a king, and there's only one king. That's Caesar. We have allegiance to Caesar, and this guy is a traitor. He's trying to be a king. Pilate brings him in, and he says, Is this so? Do you claim to be a king? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Did you come up with that yourself, or did someone tell you that? And he said... Don't you know who you're talking to? I've got the power to release you or to kill you. And he says, you have no power against me at all except my Father in heaven gave it to you. 
And he says, I came to testify of the truth. And Pilate goes, what is truth? Now Pilate's in a jam here because he needs to do something to calm the storm because there's a riot brewing. And he's in trouble if there's a riot. But his wife sent him a message saying, this guy's innocent. Don't do anything. And he can tell, this, Jesus has done nothing. And somebody says something about where Jesus is from, and he goes, oh, hey, that's the jurisdiction of Herod. <laughs> I'll send him to Herod. The Bible says that he and Herod hated each other until this day. He sends Jesus to Herod. Herod's happy to see Jesus. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he desired for a long time to see him because he'd heard many things about him and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So this Herod, who's a descendant of the Herod that tried to kill him when he was born, hears about Jesus. He goes, hey, walk across my swimming pool and I'll let you go. <laughs> I want to see a miracle. Jesus wouldn't even answer him. So he sends him back to Pilate. Interestingly, the Bible says from this point on, Pilate and Herod became really close friends. Isn't that odd? So he goes back to Pilate and Pilate tries him again. Pilate says, well, let's have him beaten. Maybe that'll satisfy. So they took Jesus and they scourged him. And a scourging was with a, what they, we call a cat of nine tails. And it was a whip that had nine straps of leather and pieces of bone and glass. Metal were embedded in it. And when they'd hit someone, they, they would just rip the flesh open. And, and the purpose of it was to put someone in critical condition so they would die quickly on the cross. But sometimes they just beat people. And that's, his hope was, if I do this to Jesus, maybe they'll say, okay, that's good enough. But it wasn't good enough. They wanted Jesus dead. And so Pilate has another plan. He says, you know what? I'm going to release Barabbas or Jesus. It was their custom to release one prisoner as an act of clemency at that moment in time. I'll release one. He, surely they won't choose Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He was an awful guy and everyone knew it. Said, who do you want me to give you? And they said, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. And he said, what about Jesus? And they said, kill him. What do you do? Pilate was a coward. And Pilate bowed to the will of the people. And he called for a bowl of water. And he saw he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So the judge says he's innocent. Go ahead and kill him. That's what happened. You know what? This wasn't all just a bad mistake. This was the plan from the beginning. Jesus Christ said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. Do you think they could have done this to Jesus if he had not wanted them to? He said to Peter, he said, all I have to do is ask my Father, and he'll send ten legions of angels. And I tell you what, one legion of angels would be enough to deal with all humanity. He didn't have to do that, but he did. He chose to do that. The Bible says they sent him to be crucified. They compelled Simon a Cyrenian as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross because Jesus couldn't carry the cross because he'd been beaten and he was in such terrible physical condition. He was in critical condition. He would be in ICU in a hospital today. 
He couldn't carry the cross. They grabbed this guy named Simon, said, you carry it for him, and they took him. And Pilate said, I want you to put this sign on the top of his cross that says, Jesus, the King of the Jews. The Jews hated that. They said, no, 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 don't put that. Put, he said he's the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. So they put this sign on the top of the cross in three languages, the King of the Jews. And then they crucified Jesus. It was a third hour and they crucified Him and put nails in His hands and His feet. This wasn't an accident. This was fulfillment of prophecy. We talked about prophecies last week, all the prophecies of Jesus. This specifically is a prophecy spoken by the prophet Isaiah when Isaiah said in 49.16, I have inscribed you upon the palms of my hands. How do you inscribe someone on the palms of your hands? God said, I inscribed you, people, humanity, on the palms of my hands when they put nails in them to hang me on the cross. That happened and Jesus was hung on that cross for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world. He paid that price. And I think about that. I think about what that should require from me. Can you imagine someone dying for you like that? Taking the guilt of your sin? This is physically what happened. This literally happened in history. And we read, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they cast lots to divide His garments. As He's hanging up there for the sin that He didn't commit, the people who killed Him are at the foot of the cross, and He looks down and He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Can you forgive that way? Anybody ever wrong you? Can you forgive like that? Jesus said seven things as He hung on the cross. And we don't have time this morning to talk about those seven. But the last thing Jesus said was it is finished. It is finished. Into your hands I commend my spirit. And He bowed His head and He died. What was finished? His life? Well, not really. <laughs> He's coming back. You know the rest of the story, right? What was finished? What was finished is that He had finished the purpose He came for. The purpose of paying for the sins of the world. Redeeming mankind and taking humans who were made lower than angels and making them children of the Almighty God. That's what was finished. It's what He did for you and what He did for me. That was finished. And they took and to verify that He was dead, one of the soldiers pierced His side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. It pierced His heart and the blood and water came out proving that Jesus Christ had died. They took His body down and Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Nicodemus also came. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices in the garden, a new tomb which no one had yet been laid in. So there they laid Jesus. You remember Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus in the, in the uh, Sanhedrin council who came to Jesus by night and said, I don't understand this. What's, what's... And Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, how can I be born again? Here, years later, Nicodemus is following Jesus. And he comes and he says, I'm going to take his body. And they take him and they bury him in a rich man's grave, which didn't happen to people who had just been crucified. And he was laid there for three days and three nights. There was silence. But at the end of that three days and three nights, Jesus' mother Mary and Mary Magdalene and some of the other ladies, they went to give a proper preparation of his body for a burial. And they get there, and when they get there, he's gone. And an angel is there and he said, you see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. And Jesus came back from the dead. He was no longer dead. And Mary first thought he was a gardener and when she saw him and she ran up to her to ask where it was and he said, Mary, and she knew it was Jesus and she went to hug him and he said, don't touch me, just go tell everyone. Go tell them. And she went and she told and the disciples didn't believe. They couldn't believe he was dead. And they went running and John was younger. He got there first and he stopped and he's looking in the grave and Peter comes running up and he just runs right into the grave and looks around and he says, he's not here and the cloth was folded up and, and Jesus was alive again. Jesus appeared to him. Jesus taught them for 40 days and he explained to them everything in the scriptures about him. And then they went out of Jerusalem and the Bible says now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And there's, can you imagine watching someone just ascend up into heaven? I mean, with no ropes. <laughs> Not, not one of those jetpacks. I mean, he just ascended. If I just ascended up into heaven right now, wouldn't you be going, wow. Right? And they're standing there looking up at heaven and some angels come and they say, what are you looking at? Go to Jerusalem like he told you. You've got a job to do. One of these days, he's going to come back just like you saw him go. And from that day to now, Christians have lived their lives faithfully carrying out that mission but keeping one eye on the sky. Because someday, someday, Jesus is coming back. You know, a few months ago, my grandchildren were at our house and we have those sirens that, you know, the warning sirens. There's a fire station right behind where we live and the siren went off at noon and we were out in the back of the property and the loud siren and it scared the kids to death, you know, and we're, they're, oh, what's going on, you know, and, and then the siren stops and it starts talking. It says, this has been a test, a test of the emergency. And Adeline was standing there with me. She heard the voice and she said, Is that God? <laughs> no, honey, that wasn't God. But someday, someday you're going to hear a trumpet and you're not going to mistake it for an early warning sign. Someday we'll hear a trumpet. And if you're already dead by then, 
When you hear that trumpet, you'll get up out of your grave. That's what's going to happen. Someday. I hope you're right with God. You need to be right with God. Jesus came and gave His all for you to be right with God. If you're not right with God, you can make yourself right with Him today just by obeying the Gospel, by responding to that. If you've got things that aren't right, you need prayers, we can pray for you. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, you can do that today and go home knowing that when you hear that sound, you're going to heaven with God. If there's any way we can assist you, we do offer an invitation song where we stand and sing.